Well, good morning, guys. I think we're all in here. Y'all get fed all right? Yeah, all right. Well, welcome. I'll say it right now, just so that as guys got to cut out, you will um, have this information. We start two weeks from today is when we're going to gather in here with men. It's still okay to invite guys and let them know what's going on, but it's going to be an opportunity for you to work through the second half of one of the most action-packed gospels, or the most action-packed gospel. It's the shortest. We're going to pick it up in chapter 9. We're going to work through chapter 16. It's the gospel of Mark. We're using a very simple book. Um, and I would highly encourage you, if you've got friends that you're trying to introduce to a, um, a, a way to relate to other men and see who the greatest leader ever was, this is an easy ask. So I would encourage you to pray bold and to ask bold, invite guys in, give them a taste of what men do, and then uh, lead them out. We're going to talk about why that has to happen this morning. So let me pray for us and we'll uh, have a little fun. Father, thank you. For these guys that they got up early, thank you that you just bless us. You know, we've got bellies full of bacon and eggs, and uh, we're centered by men that we have a chance to be encouraged by and to encourage. We thank you that you're going to turn us loose in this city today, where we can go out and love and serve others, that we can use the skills you've given us to labor in a way that brings you glory and provision for our families. We thank you, Father, that you make provision for all the ways that we fail our families and fail ourselves through your son Christ, that we always want to acknowledge. And Lord, we admit that more often than acknowledging you, we compete for headship with you, and that gets us in all kinds of trouble. And so would you use the time that we're together as men to spur each other on uh, to something greater, and that is to decrease that you might increase. Use this semester, use these guys. Thank you that they're here this morning. Would you bless them and give them something, Lord, that will be useful in their lives, consistent with your purposes. And that would be a great delight to me in Jesus' name. Amen. So we talk a lot about men. I, I, I've had this thing for a long time, and I, I, I want to share it with you because uh, it made me laugh just because I'm a guy like you are. And uh, it's just called a simple quiz for real men. And you can just take this test, and based on how you do, you can figure out if you're a real man or not based on this particular assessment. But here we go. First one. It says, uh, you come across an alien being from a highly advanced society, and you're the first human they ever encounter. As a token of intergalactic friendship, they present you with a small but incredibly sophisticated device that is capable of curing all diseases, providing an infinite supply of clean energy, wiping out hunger and poverty, and permanently eliminating oppression and violence all over the, uh, all over the earth. What do you decide to do? A, immediately contact our government so that they can use it. Present it to the Secretary General of the United Nations because you're a world-minded person, or C, take it apart, try and figure out how it works. <laughs> um, when is it okay to kiss another man? A, when you display simple and pure affection without regard for narrow-minded social conventions? When the other man is the Pope? Or when he is your brother and you're Al Pacino and this is the only real sportsman-like way to let him know that for business reasons, you have to kill him? <laughs> when is it okay to hug another male if he's your father and at least one of you has a fatal disease? If you're performing the Heimlich maneuver on him? If you're a professional baseball player and a teammate hits a home run to win the World Series, you may hug him provided that he's still legally within the base path. Both of you are wearing sufficient protection and you pound him fraternally hard enough in the back that would cause possibly a spinal fracture. <laughs> it's hilarious. Just a couple of more. This is funny. In your opinion, the ideal pet is a cat, a dog, or a dog that eats cats. <laughs> You've been seeing a woman for several years. She's attractive and intelligent. And you always enjoy being with her. One leisurely Sunday afternoon, the two of you are taking it easy. You're watching a football game. She's reading the paper when she suddenly, out of the clear blue sky, tells you that she thinks she really loves you. But she can no longer bear the uncertainty of not knowing where your relationship is going. She says she's not asking whether you want to get married, only whether you believe that you have some kind of future together. What do you say? A, that you sincerely believe the two of you do have a future, but you don't want to rush it. B, that although you have strong feelings for her, you can't honestly say that you'll be ready anytime soon to make a lasting commitment, and you don't want to hurt her by hiding out any false hope and you tenderly communicate with her. Or C, can you believe Terrence Williams never out of bounds? <laughs> okay, so you've decided that 
you truly love this woman and you want to spend the rest of your life with her, sharing the joys and sorrows the world has to offer, come what may. How do you tell her? A, you take her to a nice restaurant and tell her after dinner. B, you take her for a walk on a moonlit beach. You say her name, she turns to you with the sea breeze blowing in her hair, the stars in her eyes, you get in your knee and you tell her you love her. C, tell her what? <laughs> Last one. One weekday morning, this wife you've married wakes up feeling ill and asks you to get your three children ready for school. Your first question is, hey, they don't, do they really need to eat anything? B, school starting? Or C, we have three? <laughs> All right, those things are funny because they just play on these massive stereotypes that, that go with men. But uh, uh, hopefully we are guys that know that none of those stereotypes lend itself at all to what it is that makes a man a man. And I want to talk to you about uh, why men need to be men. And I, I, you know, I, just as a good reminder, I think all of us have some sense that our role is really significant. And, and one of the ways that we can determine the value of something is to see what happens when it's not there, right? When you pull something away and you take it uh, out of the spot it should be, you, you, you start to see its power by observing what happens in its absence. And so, these are not stats from the Bible. These are stats from people who observed men that haven't lived according to the Bible. And when men advocate their role, when God put man on earth, one of the things he told him to do was to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it, to rule over it, to manage it in a way that would lead to blessing for all that are in it. See, that's what God did. God created in Eden a place that would lead to human flourishing. That's what great kings do. They, they create an environment that causes others to flourish. And when the primary vehicle to do that fails to do that, it creates all kinds of havoc. So I'm going to just overwhelm you with stats for a second. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse situations come from fatherless homes. That's 10 times the national average. 63% of all youth suicides are from fatherless homes. That is five times the national average. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 32 times the national average. 85% uh, of all children who show behavior disorders in general uh, are, come from fatherless homes, 20 times the national average. 80% of rapists come from fatherless homes, 14 times the national average. 70% of all high school dropouts come from father, fatherless homes, almost 10 times the national average. Um, children without, with fathers um, are, are more likely to, to suffer educationally, socially, to have a criminal future, and to harm themselves or to be chemically dependent. And one of the things that I need to say right here is it's not just when a dad leaves completely, physically the home, but when he emotionally isn't present and when he doesn't engage. Uh, I want to just share with you a story. When a father fails to lead the way that he should lead, when he's not the patriarch that God wants him to be, a patriarch is uh, a, a primary provider or leader in a generation. That's what every single man is in his home. And I know some of you guys are here and are single. And let me tell you something. There is nothing but a plethora of single men in this church that need a patriarch, a man that's going to say, follow me. And as a single man, conduct yourself with honor. When you go back and you look at just the stories in the scripture, one of the things that you'll see again and again and again is that people suffered when they had a dad who, even though he might be a dad that God decided to use later, they suffered incredibly because they fathered in the, followed in the sins of their father, Jacob, the one who God chose to be the father of the nation of Israel. Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob manipulated and lied, and his sons learned his ways. When a guy named Shechem, who was a Philistine, uh, happened to see one of Jacob's daughters and rape her, the father of Shechem, Hamor, realized that what he had done was wrong. He came to him. He, he, he owned it. He turned his son in. This unrighteous Philistine turned his son in, tried to make amends, tried to pay restitution, tried to do the kinds of things that a man is called to do when he realizes he's made a mistake. And then Jacob's two sons used religion 
to exploit not just um, their father's heart, but to set up this nation that God wanted them to minister to. They deceived them and lied to them so they could rape them, pillage them, plunder them, take their women captive. They told them that what they needed to do is make a treaty. The way they were gonna make a treaty is they would adopt the God of the Israelites, and part of that sign was to be circumcised. They circumcised all the adult men, and why they were healing from that, they went in and murdered them all, raped their wives, and plundered the village. And the reason they did that, and it caused a great, obviously, scourge on God's name in Cana, and they did this because they had learned from their dad, this is how you get what you want. You deceive, you trick, you steal. Uh, David, who had a lot going for him, was a guy that gave himself away to lust and then to cover it up and to deal with his problems, murdered. His son Amnon gave himself to lust, raping one of his sisters. His other son Absalom dealt with his anger by murdering his brother Amnon. And I could go on and on and on and on with illustrations of what happens when men don't model for their um, families, for their children, and for their generation what faithfulness looks like. And so why we do this is to set you up that you may not be those men and that you might be a source of grace and provision. Now what I wanna encourage you with, I'm gonna say it now, I'm gonna say it again at the end. No matter who you are or where you've been, what you can be is a Glory to God and a blessing to others. But at some point, you gotta say, I'm going to be a man. And I'm gonna define a man the way that God does and pursue all the glory that God intends for me. And so it has nothing to do now with my accumulating wealth, power, comfort, or glory as men would have it. I wanna be like the greatest man that ever lived. And one of the things you're gonna see as you study Jesus, is that that's exactly who he was. And great men use power to serve others. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's a verse you'll memorize these next weeks if you don't already know it. It's Mark chapter 10, verse 45. But let me just show you what's going on, why this is a big deal, what God's looking for, and then I'm gonna give you an illustration I think is gonna encourage you this morning. If you got a Bible, turn to Ezekiel 22. If you don't, you can look up here. But in Ezekiel 22, you're going to see a section of Scripture that highlights the importance of the role that God has uniquely given us to play. This doesn't mean women aren't important. I'm talking to men, and so I'm talking about the importance of men. Women are absolutely important and essential to us being the men that God wants us to be, but women need men to be men. And one of the things you need to know about this place right here is we don't need you to show up to validate us. We're not looking for you to come to a Bible study so we can tell you how many guys come to a Bible study. I could care less how many men come to a Bible study. It is the passion of my life to be around men who want to apply the Bible to their life so that they can be a blessed individual who will use that blessing to bless others. We're not a place that wants you just to come and go through some routine that a lot of guys do in Dallas where they show up at some office complex on certain days of the week with a group of guys and they banner around and read some book and move on. The goal here is that we would get a glimpse of God's purposes for us and the glory associated with it and the goodness of our Father and that we would walk in his ways and that it would lead to blessing in others, period. And this place that I'm a part of with all of you has always been a place that is purposed to help men be men. Because when men are men, it leads to human flourishing. And when men step out or become passive, when patriarchs are passive, there is ruin in the land. And you're going to see that God always has the harshest judgment for leaders who advocate their role. And in Ezekiel chapter 22, I'll tell you where we are in history. We are at a place now where the entire nation is crumbled and they are at a place of great suffering and he's going to tell you why. In a sense, the whole nation, you know, I don't even like to use this phrase because it minimizes it, is in time out. The nation has lost its blessing. It's lost its privilege. It's lost its place. There is no human flourishing. And the reason is, is because men who were called to play a significant role failed to play it and they became selfish, they became absorbed in the things of the world, and they were distracted from that which God called them to. 
And so God didn't judge them by punishing them. When men don't do what they're supposed to do, they end up living in a way that feels like judgment. Let me say that to you again. Sometimes I think we have this crazy idea that, that trouble befalls us as a result of God being mad at us so he stops blessing us. The truth is most of the trouble in our lives is a result of us sowing into our lives that which is going to call, cause weeds and problems to flourish. And then when there are weeds and problems, we go, man, God's judging me because I haven't been living the way that he wants. God's not judging you. He is just letting you reap what you sowed. You've given yourself away to the, 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 the course of the ways of this world, the, the appetites of your flesh, and he's trying to tell you that's not going to work out well for you. You've listened to a liar who's promised you things that don't lead to the things that he promised. And so he's trying to call you out and say, there's a better way. He's not mad at you. He just loves you and wants to set you free. And it's kind of like a kid that went out and dro uh, uh, drank and drove. And now he's locked up. And, and your father is there and he shows up. And it's not like he goes, how could you embarrass my family name? How could you do this? God's family name is going to be rock solid. I mean, he's going he's gonna to redeem it. it he, he's going to raise up a righteous son. He's going to raise up people that will be a remnant, that will rightly represent him. Nothing that we do is going to affect ultimately what God is going to get done. We do know that, right? God has chosen to use us. He wants to use us. But if we don't want to be used by him, he will find some other way to accomplish it. He will find faithful people. And so when he shows up and he sees us drunk and in jail, he's not mad at us. He's just saying, son, this is why I told you not to live your life this way. This is why I told you not to be distracted by the ways of the world and human accomplishment because I didn't want your wife to feel the way she feels about you. I didn't want you to be empty and 30 and wondering and 35 and trying to figure out why you don't have a life and a family and a future and a hope. It's because you've been chasing after all that Dallas offers. And I know you're lonely, I know you're empty, and I know you're looking for purpose. And I'm not mad at you. That's why I tried to tell you in your 20s and you're 18 and, you're, and you're, when you were 10. But there was a better way. And so this isn't me punishing you. This is you reaping what you sowed. And then here's the amazing thing about God. He goes, let me know when you want to turn this thing around. Because I don't care who you are, or where you've been, what you can be is a, is, is a glory to God and a blessing to other people. You just got to get back in the game and start to understand Hey, God's good. He's not looking to rip me off. He wants to set me free. He wants to restore the glory that is lost. I'll say it again, and then we'll read from Ezekiel. The verse that for the longest time, every time I heard it, 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 it always went a certain direction for me. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That was always a verse I heard like, Todd, you're a screw-up, and God's going to smack you. That's the way I always heard it. It was like, man, you're not good enough and you probably aren't ever going to be good enough and you can't be good enough and you need to know you're never going to be good enough for God. And that, in effect, is true. But what that verse is really saying is, hey, man, the way you're living your life, the way women feel about you, the way kids look at you like, this is my dad, the way society wonders where the leaders are anymore, I, I, I wanted kids to look at you and, and, and you to be their hero. I wanted a woman to be grateful that she could take her clothes off and be close to you to brag about the way she delighted in serving you, to hold her head high when people asked her who her kingly husband was, to have a city that said, may God multiply your kind. That's what I wanted for you. That's the training I gave you. That's the life I called you to. And when you choose another life, it's gonna be a less glorious life than the one I offer you. And so if you want the glory restored, man, Come learn from your father, the king. That's what we're here to offer you. What happens when men don't do that is found right here in Ezekiel 22. And, it, and, 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 and let me just say that, that every leader of his family or leader of his cabal of friends ought to look upon himself in three capacities. He ought to look at himself as a prophet to instruct, as a priest to pray with and for and as a, a prince, if you will, to keep the peas going, to, 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 to create a system of, of, of government or to direction to provide for them in a way that they would thank God that that's the king over them. And when patriarchs are passive, 
They don't speak the truth. They don't run to God. And they don't lead others well. This is what happens to a nation like that, and every one of us is a king of our own little nation, but this is what it says. There is a conspiracy of her prophets. This is in verse 25. And it talks about what's going on in this little land that uh, is called Israel and, and why they're moving into this season of judgment where they're not getting smacked by God as much as they are reaping what they sowed. Remember that. There is a conspiracy. In other words, there is this, this false narrative that has been bought by those that are supposed to remind people of what is true. You know, I'll just say this. I was talking yesterday to a group of guys, and we were talking about um, a biblical view of children. And they were asking me about, is it okay? These are young men, and they don't have all the resources that they've been convinced they need before they start to have children. And, and, um, and it's just normal for us to be on the birth control pill, and it's normal for us to figure out how many kids we want and when we want them to start and all of that different stuff. And I was just sharing with them. I go, listen, I bought a narrative in my life. I bought a narrative that, that you want to manage your life even when you want to put kids into it because kids can sometimes, when you have kids, are a lot of trouble and, and, and they cost a lot of money. And that, that narrative was just culturally, without anybody ever coming right out and saying that to me, it just culturally was absorbed into my being. And because of that, I, I just didn't start by thinking the way that God wants me to think about kids, which is simply this, children are a gift from the Lord. And how blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And so they said, well, Todd, does that mean I can't be on the pill? I go, let me just tell you something. What's the purpose of the pill? The purpose of the pill is that you wouldn't get pregnant. And all I want to do is be a man that tells you the truth. Children are a gift. Now, I'm not telling you, you got to have all the gifts that some other guy has, okay? I mean, how blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them? Maybe your quiver's full of it too, okay? But I'm just telling you, children are a gift. And they go, well, does that mean I should be on the pill? I go, listen, what I'm telling you, Children are a gift. They're not a blight, they're a blessing. And that's all I can offer you. I know my God is good, I know his word is true, and so I'm not going to tell you anything other than he tells you. I'm not saying you gotta have all the gifts God wants to give you. But I kept repeating the same thing because all I wanna do is share with them what a loving father has said with them. And what I do know is that we shouldn't ever do something that's going to limit, okay, uh, the existence of life once it happens. So there's responsibilities about what kind of birth control you use if you use it. But listen to us. What we're saying is we want to put kind of a, a um, we want to put a governor on that which God says will lead to our blessing. And that's just true, not just with kids, which is very controversial for all of us. And you're going to go home and don't tell your wife Todd said that she shouldn't be on the pill. Go home and tell your wife that children are a gift and wrestle with why you're on the pill. There's a conspiracy, man. And, and, and so there's just one. And what I'm trying to do is I don't want to be a guy that, that furthers conspiracies. I, I, I want to be a guy that is a steward of the mysteries of God and that believes that God loves men. And so all I want to do is tell men what God told men, because I believe he's good. I believe every word of God is tested, and I believe he loves you. And I'm trying to lead my life in a way that you'll want to jump in and maybe test that theory with me. But there's a conspiracy upon those who are supposed to instruct. They tear apart their prey because their words are not true. They have devoured lives. They've taken treasure and precious things, and they have made widows in the midst of her. That's what, that's what conspiracies always do, man. It takes men out of the role they're supposed to be in, and it leaves women and children vulnerable. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They've made no distinction between the holy and the profane and between the unclean and the clean, and they hide their eyes from my Sabbath. They don't find rest where I tell them they, they profane who I am. They don't rightly represent me. They don't do what I've asked them to do. And so the people are, are without any sense of direction. The, the, the word that is used for, for counselor in the scripture is a word that is used for men that are um, able to 
pull the right ropes on a seaborne vessel in order to have sails face a certain direction and tack through difficult seas so they don't get shipwrecked. And so um, you ever heard the expression, that guy knows how to pull the ropes? That's where it comes from. It comes from the biblical idea of instruction. Guys that know how to pull the ropes, okay, so that the, the ship will move away from that, that hidden reef and that know how to catch the wind in order to make it go where you want it to go, those are guys that can pull the ropes correctly. Guys that can pull the ropes correctly when it's tied up in a spot and wants to release it. When you hear about a guy that's lost his moorings, there's another nautical expression that says he's not anchored into the thing he needs to be anchored into. He's not tied on correctly. And as a result of that, we've got trouble. And he's gonna be blown here and there when he shouldn't be blown here and there. He doesn't know how to work the ropes and he doesn't know where to anchor himself. And so we use that, right? And what he's saying is the guys that were supposed to teach people that because they were the men that God taught how to sail through life because he was good and loved them, those guys didn't do their job and the people were suffering. Prophets, priests, 27 princes. Her princes within her are like wolves tearing the prey by shedding blood and destroying lives in order to get dishonest gain. In other words, princes were princes to be served and not to serve. They, they, they used their power to maintain their power. Now he's gonna go back to the prophets. They've smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies. Man, I'm gonna tell you something. There is nothing in your life that will cause you problems like being around men that will give you counsel that sounds kind of true but it's completely wrong. There's nothing quite so deceptive as a truth that is misunderstood or what I would just basically say is colloquial wisdom that is widely embraced that isn't consistent with truth. That's called spreading lies. And man, we spread lies with each other all the time, don't we? Where we just start to just kind of manage information in a way that, that, that Sounds right, but, but all I want to do is be a guy that just keeps going back to, you know, and look, man, full disclosure, when we first got married, we, we like, I'm, I'm just, I told the kids I got, uh, that I was with, these 20-year-old some guys, guys, I was on the pill with my wife for a while because I had this mindset that I had to make sure that I had this much money and had set up my career this way before I brought a child into that. And I got to tell you, man, if you're going to wait until you're set up like you want to be set up, you're never going to make enough money to have a kid. Okay, and by the way, here's what happens. You start making money, and then you have a kid, and you go, man, maybe I shouldn't travel so much or be so committed to work, but you've now become addicted to a certain kind of life, and because this kid's there, you wanna provide for that kid, and so you tell yourself more and more lies until the next thing you know, these kids that are a gift are there, and you may not have divorced their mommy, but you are absent from the home. And I'm just gonna tell you, it's not just be fruitful and multiply, period. It's be fruitful, multiply, and spend time with them and be their prophet and their priest and their prince who models for them the goodness of God and who walks in his ways, who teaches them the way of the Lord, who prays with them and for them. How you doing, man? When's the last time you went in and knelt by your kid's bed? Held their hand. I'm talking about your 16-year-old told him about the kindness of God and prayed over him that he would love his word. Said, son, did you, did you take any Bible in day where you're reminded today of the seed of truth that if you'll put this in your life, it'll bless you? When's the last time you've done that, man? What are we doing calling ourselves followers of Jesus? When's the last time you grabbed your wife's hand and said, sweetie, look, I want to tell you, the reason I don't pray with you more often is I, I don't feel like I have the moral authority to ask you to pray because there's so much in my life that isn't prayerful. But the way to change that is not to try and change that. The way to change that is to acknowledge I'm not doing that. The first step in getting well is to acknowledge I'm not the man I want to be, and I'll never be the man I want to be unless I'm attentive to God and his ways. I have not been your priest. I have not governed this house the way God wants. I haven't been a prophet who speaks truth. I'm a guy that rolls over it so I can justify another weekend infatuated with my college sports fantasies, my kid's future professional career, and whatever else it is that distracts me from ultimate things. 
story goes on, and we get to the very end of this, and it just says, as a result of that, in verse 29, as a result, the people of the land have practiced oppression. In other words, there's chaos amongst the people because the guys that are supposed to pull the ropes aren't pulling the ropes, and so all these hidden reefs are just taking guys out all the time. And there's just craziness in the land, just like David's sons, just like Jacob's sons. And so it says here that God is always looking to bless people. I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before him for the land so that he would not destroy it. But he says, I I didn't find a single one. I found a bunch of guys that go to their Bible study every other Thursday, but I didn't find a man who walked with me and stood. And guys, here's the thing. All we got to do is just say, man, here I am, Lord, use me. Pull me out of whatever I've been in and get me in the game. And I don't want to tell the world I've changed. I just want to change. And one of the ways I'm going to change is I'm going to get around other men who want to change too. And we're not going to just kind of have some mamby-pamby, okay, soft Dallas cultural hourly get-together. We're going to go, hey, man, let's just figure this thing out. Is Jesus the king? Is our king good? Does he love us? Is he trying to call us to blessing? Can he take the years that the locusts have eaten and restore them? Can he turn my poll numbers around with my wife? Can he make my kids want to be a registered guy who votes for me as dad of the year? Can he make my city go, who's this guy that's present in us? Yeah, he can. I don't care who you are, where you've been, what you can be is a glory to God and a blessing to others. But you gotta tune in and not just in a superficial cultural way. I want you to watch a real story. Check this out. This is the first time I've been back to this place since I left here in 1968. I grew up in Cedar Hill when it was just a very small town. Everyone knew everyone. Everyone knew everybody's problems. From my earliest childhood days, I can just always remember being at church on Sunday with my mom. I always remember feeling very proud of my mom because uh, she was such a Christian lady. At the same time, I never really felt comfortable there. I didn't really ever hear anything about Jesus that ever really stuck. I grew up in a very, very impoverished condition and home. I was consumed with shame because of my dad's alcoholism. I was sexually abused and physically abused. I had pistols put in my mouth at eight. Just all that kind of craziness. Being a guy, I wanted my dad to praise me and give me some kind of attention. And the first time my dad ever praised me was one day at this school. When I got in a fight about someone calling my brother a queer, and so I thought, wow, negative praise is better than nothing. I studied and I worked hard. I graduated as a member of the National Honor Society. Not once did my dad ever look at my report card, never even have any ideas half the time what grade I was in. He basically just told me, Freddie, be like me, be a man, get you a effing job and go to work. So as I left school, I began to think, well, maybe I need to do more bad things and I'll get more appreciated. And the first time I ever drank alcohol, the first time I had sexual relationships with a woman, and the first time I ever smoked a cigarette was the night I graduated from this high school. Then I started smoking pot shortly after I left high school. I went to college, I was there for two years. I did good at first, then I got to doing the drugs and my studies became secondary. I decided to drop out of college. And so I went to a concert at Love Field in the summertime and I saw this most beautiful girl. So I just walked over to her and I said, Hi, my name is Freddie, and uh, can I talk to you? I think you're very pretty. And so she just started talking to me. We started calling each other and dating, and it was the first time in my life I ever felt in love. We entered into that marriage, but ultimately we were sick and sad as a result of us not understanding the power of molestation and abuse. Our souls were hurting, and the drugs didn't work, and so we began both to have illicit affairs. After we couldn't work out our problems, she was gone, living with a friend. I was all alone. My friends here had cocaine. You can't snort it, you have to shoot it. And I always said I would never do that. 
and I probably was the weakest moment in my life because of the hurt of my not being with my wife. And so I said, okay, okay. And it was the worst mistake I ever made in my life. The cocaine made it worse, not better. It made me begin to act out sexually in ways I never even dreamed I would. When I would go home at night, I would hate myself. I was working, I was sober, I had money, and all of a sudden I ran into this girl on the street. She was very beautiful. She had some heroin. She said, let's just try this. I guess more than anything, I just was lonely and I wanted to be with her. We went and got a motel. $3,000 later, I'm really strung out for the first time. And I stayed that way for almost the next three decades. Because then I began to come to places like this and do things that I said I'd never do, such as steal things. Many times after I would come here and get money for drugs, go over there, which is an AA meeting, so I wouldn't spend it on drugs, leave there and go two blocks over and buy drugs. And it got so dark that no quilts on my window because of the light just scared me. It made me feel like someone was seeing me the way I really was, and I didn't want them to see that, and I didn't want to see anybody. After years of heroin abuse, I began to uh, seek other ways, AA and A, all those things, and I was on a very low dose of methadone. I just slowly began to go up on my toes until the point where I went from an insulin syringe going to tractor supply to buy livestock syringes to put enough of it in me to where it would kill me. It just kept getting worse, kept getting worse. I had I'd reached the point of no hope to where I said, I'm checking out. The next thing I remember, I woke up in ICU. And when I woke up, I just remember a nurse standing there and I'd had such a horrific nightmares. It was such a uh, relief when the nurse said, you're okay, you're alive because I didn't really know. Uh, the doctors had told me that I was extremely fortunate to be alive and I was extremely fortunate to have all my limbs. They brought me some dinner. I remember pushing it aside and seeing some literature on this table. It was about the Lord. There was a Bible, I was gonna read the Bible. As I read it, I realized that ultimately I didn't want to die and I hadn't died because God didn't want me to die. And I cried out at that moment, Lord, change me, help me to change myself, I can't do it alone. I was just so thirsty for God. I just had this deep conviction that, that God had spared my life and I was compelled to open that the religious section. On a Sunday, there was a huge article about Jay Burns. That was a light bulb in my head because I knew without a doubt I had always been a prodigal child. Got all the information and I was there that first service the next Sunday. And even though I walked in for the first time and no one knew me, they were friendly to me and they engaged with me. They made me feel welcome. As I sat there and I listened to Todd preach, I thought I knew God, but I never really had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I just walked up there and I said, my name is Freddie Mayfield. I've been strung out on heroin almost 30 years and I, I recently tried to kill myself I know that's not what God has for me. I want to serve the Lord. I want to be baptized. Would you help me? And David bear hugs me and almost squeezes me to death. And then Corey grabs me and hugs me. And then Todd hugs me. And the first time in my whole life, men were hugging me and not abusing me and loving me in a way that I never felt. And as I began to go to church and work through all those problems, the healing began to take place. And this is the place where I was baptized. Todd spoke over the PA system where everyone in Highland Park could hear it. This guy here has been a heroin addict for 30 years. Look at him. Freddie Mayfield's his name. Once I was immersed in that water, I felt clean for the first time in my life and I didn't feel ashamed. And it was just the most incredible feeling. I remember Todd asking me if I wanted to serve the Lord and I said, I don't only want to serve him, I want to be a warrior for him. A dear friend of mine from CR was there next to me, going to be baptized. Todd looks at me and he says, okay, baby, you see you want to go to work and be a warrior? I want you to baptize God. So I got to baptize God immediately after I was baptized, and it was incredible. I used to pray for relationships with God and people. And as I began to serve, I began to meet the most wonderful people. And I realized it's, it's about others and how you serve them in love. You know, we're all broken people, and we all struggle. But our hope is not in this world, it's in Christ. If people see me being joyous at church, that is why. Because my joy is in the Lord and it's not in this world. You know why this chair is here, Freddie? Come here.
I shot Freddie a text last night. I said, you going to be here? You know, Freddie has greeted at 18 consecutive summits. 18. And I don't care who you are or where you've been, but what you can be is a glory to God and a blessing to others. And so I don't know where you are out there today, old prophet, priest, and prince, but I want to tell you that you can be useful to God. And you can be a blessing to others. And I wanted you to hear from Freddie. So, Freddie, tell them about the goodness of your God. <laughs> I can't. It's just, I can't describe it in words. It's, uh, it's beyond description. Uh, but I will tell you, as a result of faithful men, you and David and David Newcomb that Sunday told me, Freddie, I'm going to call you every day. And he called me every day for a year. He signed me up for Summit that first Thursday. And God knew that I needed to be here because of the, the power of my addiction was just so, I, that's why I wanted to kill myself. I didn't think I could ever overwhelm it. And uh, God just put me in, he put me in CR the first Monday of that first week. He put me in um, the Summit that first Thursday. David asked me, I don't want you, I want you to also serve. And as you could tell, I, I didn't like men. I was, uh, I just didn't want to have anything to do with them. I can look at you guys now, and I want to tell you, I love you. Mm. And I'm grateful for you. But I'm grateful that uh, that first week, I was not able to serve just at the summit, but the following Sunday, David said, uh, I want you to serve on front lines, and I want you to serve in the handicapped parking lot. And so, I mean, it was just a fast track to Jesus that I can't explain it, but he knew what I needed, and he gave me things that um, I'm just overwhelmed by his grace. He's also given me some new teeth. Glory to God and, and, and faithful brothers here. And uh, so I would just say to all you guys that, you know, um, those, those that have children and, and families, uh, you just have no idea of the impact that you have on your children by the way you love them and encourage them and most importantly model Jesus because I only saw that in my mom. But I always longed for it in, in my dad. And, um, and so as a result of that, I, I viewed God for a long, long time like my dad. And uh, I was scared of him. But today, uh, I don't have words to say how much he means to me and how much I want to serve him and, until my days are gone on this earth. And uh, I want to tell you guys that you have a great opportunity I didn't know this was going to happen, by the way, <laughs> but uh, that wasn't my testimony. It was his testimony, and he wants to use each and every one of y'all's testimony. So, uh, you know, I love you. I thank you for this opportunity, but I just, I, I would say to you, serve your families, serve your children, and serve your community, serve this country and serve this nation by reflecting Jesus Christ in you. And um, I'm grateful for you, but let's get off our butts and, and serve the Lord. In a, in a second, I want you to read those verses, Freddie. And I just want to say this. The reason I want to put Freddie up here, I, I, I almost wish, I don't know if we can, Ryan, to put a still up there of this man when he was that eight-year-old boy. And that eight-year-old boy is in your homes right now. Or maybe that eight-year-old boy has grown up to be a 26-year-old boy and he's hanging at Love Field at a concert. And he thinks he hates you because from the time he was eight to 26, you weren't the present priest and prophet and prince that God wanted you to be. And what he is here to tell you is he wants you, Dad, to come get him. And he wants you to have a life that you can invite him into and say, son, I want to start by asking your forgiveness. Because he doesn't want you to wait until he's 50 and you both have a fatal disease to hug for the first time. And you've got a wife and you heard Freddie say, I married this beautiful girl and one of my greatest heartaches is I brought into her life judgment 
because I was not a faithful, present patriarch. I was passive, and I was consumed with the things the world said would give me life. He'd love to go back and be where you are, in a home where it's cold and not thriving and have a chance to turn it around. And you have that chance. But it's not gonna happen because you want it to happen. It's gonna happen because you will follow the God who restores the years the locusts have eaten. But you gotta start to run toward him and you gotta do what he did. You find men who will hug you and love you and not show up for an hour a week on Thursday mornings. But men who will go to war with you and train with you and evaluate what you're doing and encourage you day by day. I'm gonna tell you straight up, the men here that are getting it done are not doing it in isolation. They are doing it with other men who will not give each other empty, any room to tack off course. And they're not getting mad at each other, they're helping each other. And they're reminding each other what it means to pull the ropes correctly. And guys, we love you. We're not mad at you. I, I, God's not mad at you. He's just saying, are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Are you, you want to just be another Dallas churchman whose kids have some vague sense of who God is because they're not raised in some Islamic country? Well, you keep doing that. Or do you want to be a patriarch that turns this thing around? I don't want to invite you to a Bible study, guys. I don't. I could care less about Summit. I care less about Watermark. I tell you, I care about you, and Jesus is your king. And it's rigged. And if you sow anything into your life except radical passion for him, you will have a compromised life, you will have a family in crisis, and you will have a culture that is drifting. And God is searching for men among us who will build a wall, stand in the gap before him, for the land, so it would not be destroyed. And I'm praying he finds about six, 700 of them right here. But it's up to you. I mean, let's go. Don't come to this Bible study. Let's follow Jesus. Man, if you're here and you don't even know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, make that just job one step. I'm not even, I don't get it, man. Are you telling me, Todd, I've got to perform? No, you don't have to perform for him. All you got to do is come to him and say, I don't know how to sail. I don't know the first thing about wind, currents, and water, waves. I don't even know how to read a map. I don't know where I'm supposed to go if I knew how to sail. I know that I've purposefully sailed the wrong direction. And if you're telling me God can pick me up out of those waters and spit me out of the belly of the whale of my sin and make me useful to him, tell me about the grace of that God. So you're going to read about him in this little book, but I want you to follow him with a bunch of men that want to be men of the book. Okay, guys, this isn't church. This is life. This is real. This is truth. And you are his men. And there's an eight-year-old boy and a 26-year-old boy and a future wife and a present wife that is counting on you. Read that for us, Freddie. Why don't you read the very end of Matthew 11, buddy, where it just talks about Jesus. Um, at, that time, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to the infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. I'm going to pause and just tell you, I don't know why you're here. Except for one thing I can trace it to, which is the grace of God in your life, where one more time he's trying to give you a vision of your little boy. He's letting you hear from your future self saying, don't do what I did. Be a man, God's man, with all its glory. And the way to do that comes in these next two verses. This is Jesus, right? Amen. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, if I ever found that to be true, because I've been weary, wicked, uh, 
so lost. And every day I just get up and I ask them to do that for me. And I, once again, you guys, uh, there's a reason you're here. And uh, because greater is he that's in you than it is in the world. And so I just pray that uh, each and every one of you will know how important you are in your children's lives, in, in, your, in your wife's life, and in, in your neighbor's life. I think he says somewhere in there, love God and love your neighbor with all your soul. So that's pretty important too. So I just, uh, just want to encourage you as I've been encouraged. And I'm encouraged daily. I, I, even, I have the opportunity because my mom... I think I told you this, Todd, and when I was 43, bought me a grave plot because she didn't think I'd see 44. Let me say it to you again. I don't know if you can hear it. For your 40th birthday? 43rd. 43rd birthday, his mom's birthday present to him was? <laughs> a grave plot because she didn't think I'd see 44. And uh, in November, I'll be 67. And that's because he ain't through with me. No. He's not through with them. And the guy that was a scourge in Dallas, all those places we went and filmed Freddie were places that he used to go to get cocaine, black tar heroin, hotels he flopped in, women he left. Hey, I've gotten to go tear down the same dope houses I used to buy dope from <laughs> through Second Saturday. So yep. it's been incredible. But now here he is greeting you. Tell you to come and get you some. Father, thank you that no matter where we have been or who we are, what we can be is a glory to you and a blessing to those that you want us to serve as prophets and princes and priests. Lord, I pray that we as men wouldn't come out of here saying we're going to change forever. I pray we just change today. Tomorrow we'll take care of itself. I pray we wouldn't leave here if we don't know you in all your goodness and grace without just saying, hey, will somebody tell me how to trust this Jesus? I mean, how I can know I have a relationship, how I can be certain I've got peace with God. I pray, Lord, when we stop, men look at each other, grab the guy next to him and go, do you know, are you sure you're at peace with God? That they'd grab another man and say, do you want to follow him like I do? And as men, we'd lock arms and we'd get after it together. May we not just be people who go to church in this city. May we not be guys who show up at a Thursday morning Bible study. May we be warriors for Christ who abide with you, who learn to love your word, and who are present in our homes, who are a blessing in our community, who are patriarchs that lead to generations, Father, of strength and kindness and goodness with our people. Lord, help us not to be distracted and look more forward to a stupid football game this weekend than we do of abiding with you. Thank you for fun things like football. May they be fun, fleeting things and not our focus. May you be our focus. May we be your kings. May you find men in this room today that are ready to stand in the gap. Make us prophets. Make us priests. Make us princes who know how to pull the ropes that our kids and wives would sail to better seas. Help us now to grab a guy's hand next to us and say, hey, you know him? Are you at peace with God? Have you received that grace that none of us deserve? Do you want to run with him with me? Help us to be those men. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, do that before you leave. Turn to those guys next to you. Have that conversation. God bless you.